Welcome to Counsel the Word, the podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about helping counselors to excel still more. Well, it is always a joy to have my friend with me, Pastor Terry Enns. Uh, we have been friends and co-laborers here at Grace Bible Church for over two decades. Wow. If we can believe that. Yeah. And uh, just looking forward to the conversation today uh, as we talk about training counselors and helping them excel still more. Uh, Terry, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Keith. It's always so much fun to do this as well as... Just hanging out beforehand, thinking about what we're going to talk about. That's right. And um, so our theme for our church this year has been to excel still more, particularly in caring for people. So our church has been thinking about that. Terry has preached on it. And uh, we have labored to just excel as a church in uh, caring for people. And we thought, well, we want to carry that theme over to the topic of counseling, formal counseling, and specifically how do we help counselors to excel still more in their skills. Now, Terry and I both have the privilege each, each week of supervising counseling students as part of the Phase 3 supervision portion of ACBC certification. And we also oversee our counseling staff here as well. So we, we do this a lot each week. And I just thought it would be fun uh, to talk with all of you uh, listening out there on some of the things that we're seeing as we train counselors and things that we're growing in as we all strive to excel still more. So with that, Terry, um, help us. How do we as counselors excel still more in our skills? What are some of the things that, that you're seeing with your students? Yeah, I think one of the things is um, cultivating, continuing to cultivate a sharpness with the scriptures. Um, so there are a lot of passages that we are familiar with as we are being trained as counselors. So um, their, their go-to passages, we think about desires, for instance, and we're going to think immediately James 1, James 4. We're thinking about sanctification, we go Ephesians 4. We think about communication, we're going to go Ephesians 4, marriage, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, those kinds of things. And, and most counselors are going to be uh, really skilled with those passages. But there's a, there's a preparedness of soul, a, a digging of the well spiritually, if you will, um, where you can go to any number of passages based on something that might happen that you're not necessarily anticipating in a counseling session. And so I think one of the tasks of the biblical counselor is just to be feeding his own soul, equipping his own soul and his mind uh, with biblical passages. So pretty much whatever comes up, he's he has a, and she has a well of biblical insight to go to um, and and they, and they understand the passage they understand what the passage means in the context and then they connect, connect that passage to a life circumstance that somebody's struggling with mm-hmm. yeah just the the need to personally be in the word feeding our own hearts and that yeah. uh, that spiritual discipline that we ought to be pursuing daily for all of us yeah um, so that's really good. So when you see somebody who's struggling and handling the scriptures well, or, or maybe they just they have those one or two passages they're always going to, but there's a need to branch out and, and grow in their hermeneutical and exegetical skills, what are some of the things that you assign to help 
counseling students grow in that particular skill? Yeah, sometimes it can be even as basic as uh, if they're having struggles with interpreting the scriptures, I'll have them go back and um, work through a book like Living by the Book by Hendricks and Hendricks. Really helpful tool on interpreting the scriptures and applying the scriptures. And um, and sometimes we might, might even pause the certification process while while they're doing that if if their inadequacy is significant enough. Uh, other times it's just a matter of making sure that they're reading. So I'm, I'm going to make sure that even as they're assigning scripture reading for their uh, counselees, that they are also are reading in the scriptures. Uh, I, I don't want to shock you, Keith, but sometimes people who are counseling with their scriptures may not be reading the scriptures themselves on a regular basis and feeding their own souls. Um, sometimes sometimes they may be reading the scriptures for their own souls on, in the morning, uh, and they're thinking about how does this work out in my life, and they're, they're diligently applying it. But they, they aren't building the reservoir intellectually to keep that, and so we might devise some mechanisms to where they are... Um, journaling or writing assignments on a regular basis, maybe writing an assignment, working through a passage a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things you do? Yeah, those are probably all the same things. And I just, exposure is good. So are, are they listening to guys that exposit scripture well? You know, our favorite preachers, whether it's a Piper, or MacArthur, Rick Holland, uh, Lance Quinn, Tom Pennington, some of those guys that, that we look up to that are especially gifted in, mm-hmm. in expositional preaching. And, you know, there's the sort of, you know, step step one, step two, you know, the mechanics of it. But I also feel like they learn by just being exposed to guys that do it well. Yeah. And hopefully hopefully you and I are modeling that here as well as our other elders. Um, but, yeah, you know, and just think about the, the question as well, weaknesses. Um, I don't know if you see this, but I see a lot of times people struggling not just with interpretation but with application. Yeah. So maybe this is a student that does handle the scripture well, and uh, I deal with a lot of students at the Master's University, and they're getting a great education in terms of hermeneutics and how to study the Bible. Um, but but sometimes guys that are, that are strong in um, exegetical skills, hermeneutical skills, they can interpret the Bible well, um, they struggle to apply it. Mm-hmm. And it's good to remember that Counseling is not just a Bible study. We're not done when we've faithfully exposited the Word, we, we've rightly divided it, we've pulled out principles, mm-hmm. we've been faithful to look at you know, congruity with the rest of Scripture. But the, the joy of counseling, unlike preaching or teaching a Sunday school class, is we get to tailor the application to an individual that hopefully we've gotten to know really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the step-by-step instructions... I. I often tell my my students, you you ought to be able to fall out of bed and apply the Bible. Um, Your counselee ought to be able to fall out of bed and apply what you've taught them because you've done such a good job making it clear how to do that. And... um, and that's hard. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, I think it's actually easier to learn how to do Bible study than to apply. I agree. And to apply faithfully in a way that's consistent with the authorial intent of the passage, uh, and yet unique in the sense that you're dealing with the actual counselee's struggles and problems, the dynamics that you're seeing. And, um, you know, I find when I see people struggling with that, sometimes you just ask them, well, how do you apply the Bible in your life? And it's interesting what happens at that point, because you usually see one of two things. 
sometimes you see somebody who says, oh, well, I would do X, Y, and Z, and it's really good. And you're like, okay, well, teach your counselee how to do that. You know, right. if you know how to do it, it's just a matter of applying it to them. And sometimes time constraints or nerves, other things get in the way. Occasionally you meet counselors and they don't know how to apply the Bible themselves. And that goes back to what you were saying. Are, are they walking with God in their own hearts each day? And, and that may be a, a pull the car over moment where we have to actually help them to learn how to apply the Bible themselves yeah. in that. Yeah. Sometimes too, I think they just haven't thought precisely enough. Um, you know, I, I equate preaching to, um, having a overhead lighting in the sanctuary. So everybody gets to see something, but it's it's just kind of generic. But when I'm in the counseling room, I've got a laser beam that is focused on the nature of that problem and taking the scripture then and laser beaming it into that person's life, so to speak. And um, one of the things that I'll flag on reports when I'm reading them, and I learned this from our dear friend Tim Basma, Every time they, every time I see the word, you know, uh, read um, Psalm 139 and apply it this week. Uh, I see that word apply, and I'm thinking you have not thought particularly enough about that person's problem. So instead of saying take Psalm 139 and apply it, um, I'm going to have them say something like um, take Psalm 139. What three attributes of God do you see in that passage, and how do those attributes connect to your lack of trust of God and what is one thing that you can do today because of what you learn about each of those three attributes. Mm -hmm. So just being much more specific about their struggling with doubting, not trusting, and I want to take that attribute of God and Mm -hmm. connect it to something that they're doing in their lives. Um, So anyway, just seeing that word apply, and I do that in my own life as well. If I'm thinking, okay, I'm just saying apply I've not gone far enough. I've not thought deeply enough mm-hmm. about implications. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sad. I, in my experience, most hermeneutics books, uh, most books that are written to help us to interpret the Bible faithfully, don't do a good job in application. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one you mentioned, uh, Living by the Book by Hendricks and Hendricks, that one actually has a really good section on application. So that'd be a good resource there, yes. too. Um, and kind of just going on from what you've said, too, um, I've found it helpful to share with students when it comes to application, which needs to be, you know, translated into homework, right? If you're clear in application and you're counseling, then you can translate that directly into your homework in terms of what you want them to see. So I try to teach my students that, that application homework ought to be specific, measurable, and objective. Yeah, so if, if it misses that criteria, it's not specific, it's general. If it's, if it's subjective, not objective, um, and if it's if it's vague and fluffy, but not actually measurable, not something you can quantify, well, it, it might be helpful in some way, but it's not going to be particularly useful for application. So specific, measurable, objective, yeah. and sometimes just giving some guide rails to our students like that. So they say, okay, Pastor Key is not going to be happy with my application if it doesn't fit into those three cri- criteria. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I, that I learned as well that I found really helpful is thinking about homework in terms of thinking assignments and doing assignments. So we obviously want to transform the mind and the heart, the inner man. Those are thinking kinds of things. So meditate on this verse, memorize this verse, read this passage, read this book. But then we also want to translate it into doing something. So when I'm doing homework assignments that are connected to a biblical passage, I want to make sure that I'm taking some specific action related to the issue that I'm trying to deal Mm -hmm. with. 
And so I'll have my students go through, mark each of your assignments, is it thinking or doing? And uh, the first time they do it, if they have five assignments, invariably at least four and maybe five are thinking Mm -hmm. and one or none are doing. And that's just helping us get to the point, you know, we want to be in in closer balance so that what we're thinking about is being translated into activity. No, that's good. That's good. Okay, well, let's zoom out. And and again, we're we're talking about excelling still more in our counseling skills. How do we grow? How do we help our counselors grow? Um, We've talked a lot about interpretation, application, homework. Let's think about some of those other key elements. What do you do with a counselor that says, I really struggle to just gather data, or maybe you're seeing in a student somebody who's struggling with that skill? Yeah. um, We have to learn to ask good questions. Now, you're smiling (laughs) because I am insatiably curious about everything, and the one thing, one of the things that the Lord has gifted me in is the spiritual gift of asking questions and being... uh, being really curious. Um, so is that, is that a permanent spiritual gift, or was <laughs> was that part of the the sign gifts that yeah, came to a close? Yeah, the canon? yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not sure. We'll let somebody okay. else right. parse that out. Uh, it is a permanent gift in my life, that's for sure. Uh, and that that is uh, uh, we're, we're kidding. That is not a spiritual gift, obviously. But it is it is the way God has wired me, um, and I I I naturally ask questions. I think a lot of times. Uh, counselors come into the room and they are, um, they're so used to just regular kinds of relationships. And you just know there are certain things that, barring something unusual, you just don't ask. And, uh, it, it's a, it's a social nicety not to ask. And if I want to help someone, I need to know that information. Now, in all honesty, I have prayed many times about things. Lord, I need to know this now, but I can't keep it. I've, I've got to get to the place where I forget it. So help me not to dwell on it beyond the counseling so that I don't retain it, so that I don't cultivate the habit of thinking on things I don't need to be thinking on. Right. Yeah. And uh, But I do need to ask. And so uh, our dear friend, Randy Patton, um, uh, taught me on one occasion uh, when I was counseling and he was listening to it. He said, you know, you kicked the door open to this particular issue, but you didn't keep going with it. One, why did you kick it open? And two, why didn't you keep asking? Once the door's open, why didn't you keep asking? <laughs> and I didn't say it to him, but I thought, because I'm an idiot, Randy. <laughs> I don't know any better. Uh, but that was really helpful to me. So he taught me the principle, always ask the next natural question. So if someone, and I think I wrote about this in a, in a blog post recently, if someone asks, if someone says, uh, I struggle with lust, our tendency is to say, okay, well, I know what lust looks like. I don't need to ask any more about that. Well, but I do need to know, just because I know what it looks like in my heart doesn't mean I know what it looks like in my counselee's heart. So what kind of lust are you talking about? Are you talking about looking at women or are you talking about looking at pornography? Oh, well, I look at pornography. Well, how often are you looking at pornography? What kind of pornography are you looking at? Are you looking at at books? Are you reading books? Because there's verbal pornography that um, is marketed towards women in books, as well as pictorial uh, pornography. And then there's all the attendant issues that go along with that. How often are you looking? What go, What behavior goes along with that? And so on. So... 
I have about, when someone says I, I'm struggling with lust, I have about 10 questions, 15 questions that I need to be thinking about asking uh, that a lot of times young counselors are just really hesitant to ask. They don't want to, they don't want to, they don't want to be perverted in their thinking. Paul talks in Ephesians 5, says these things ought not to be named about among you. And that's absolutely true. We ought not to be talking about it flippantly in public. But if I'm going to help someone with this issue, I need to know what it is so that I can bring the appropriate scripture to bear on it. Um, so I, I found that to be uh, exceedingly helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of related to that, we think about uh, giving hope as another mm. one of those key elements. And um, I think most of the counselors I work with, you know, they, they love people. They're they're trying to help. They're they're encouraging and optimistic. But there's a difference between being hopeful and encouraging, which is a good skill. Yes, and the ministry of opening God's Word and actually giving somebody hope from a passage. And that goes back to what you were talking about in terms of being able to rightly divide the word and, and explain it and apply it. But um, yeah, that's one of the things we see is, um, yeah, you know, be encouraging, you know, tell them you're praying for them, you know, tell them there's hope in God, but but it's it's much more powerful when we open God's word and demonstrate from something God himself has said is uh, relevant for their particular situation and, um, you know, very similar to what you were describing, you know, giving people exercises. It might just be, well, what are some passages that you might go to to communicate hope to somebody or personalize it? You know, when you're, you know, the counselor is struggling, where do you go in your Bible? Yeah. It's interesting to hear, you know, do they have a list? Uh, how long is that list? Um, maybe they need to add a few places to that list. But, um, you know, but have passages that are personally helpful to you and, and passages that lend themselves to giving hope and encouragement from the text. And we want to be careful, right? You and I know, I mean, there are places in the Bible that are unique promises to Israel, and we don't want to necessarily apply those to just everybody uh, away from the authorial intent, or or maybe Mm -hmm. it's a promise or a hope for a specific time in history, and it's not necessarily a timeless truth for everybody. So even there, we have to watch those hermeneutical issues, but we need to have passages that we know well that, uh, again, you fall out of bed and you can give hope uh, from the text, rightly dividing the word, applied appropriately to that person's situation. And uh, and just walking people through, demonstrating that, showing them how to do that well, and then encouraging them to have um, you know a similar list of passages that they understand yeah. that can do that. I like what you said about uh, walking them through that passage, and I think that's really critical. I, I liken it to: I want to take a passage of scripture, and I want to I want to work that passage into their life, such that it's. I use the word massaged, right? I want to massage them with the scriptures. So I'm just taking that one passage, and in all honesty, it's not one passage; it's almost always one verse. And I'm just taking that one verse, and for about 15, 20, 30 minutes in the counseling room, we're talking about that one verse. We're going to talk about what it means, and then we're connecting it very precisely to their problem and their situation. And I think a lot of times young counselors are so excited, right? They've got this tool belt, and it's a brand new shiny tool belt, and they've got all these cool tools that they've learned about, and they're really excited about them, and they know them well, and they want to dump it all immediately. And so I'll get reports sometimes, and, they'll, and uh, you know they'll they'll mention you know what passages that they have taught in that session, 
and and I'll say, how many passages did you talk about? And they said, well, I, I talked about three. And I said, well, actually, your report, you mentioned six passages, and as I listened to the audio, you had three more on top of that. <laughs> and what they have done is they have they have not administered the word. They've just dispensed it. They've thrown it out. In a sense, uh, I don't want this to sound crass, but it's almost like, Will something stick, and I'll just throw it out, and maybe something mm-hmm. will adhere to their lives, and they'll be helped by it. Instead mm-hmm. of taking that one passage and making sure mm-hmm. that it connects very directly to yeah. them. Yeah, we don't want to be spiritual dump trucks, right? Yeah. We want to rightly divide the word, minister it with a yeah. a carefully crafted shovel, yeah. right, and all of that. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if some of that, too, is... Um, Exposition, as you and I think about it, is is just not very common. Sadly, you know, you read the average Christian book, you hear the average Christian preacher, and it is it's topical buffet, you know, yeah. and uh, and and not that that can't be moderately helpful, but that's different from taking a a prayerfully determined passage that is particularly relevant to the counselee mm-hmm. situation. Interpreting it in its context, communicating that clearly, drawing out the timeless principles, and then spending that time in application that we talked about—that's specific, measurable, and objective. Um, well, if you're going to do that, that's going to take you 15, 20 minutes, and you're not going to have time to go to those nine other passages Agreed. because you're you're digging into the rich resources that's in that one passage. Um, so that takes us back to you know how do we learn that and where do we see it done well and. Yeah. That also goes to preparation, though, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Because you're talking about prayerfully, so you've got to spend time praying about it, planning in conjunction with the prayer. And then if I'm going to 10 passages in a session, well, I can read the verse, say one sentence about it, and I don't have to think about that. But if I'm gonna if I'm gonna take one verse and I'm gonna talk about it for 20 minutes, that's gonna take me some preparation time, mm-hmm. almost certainly before I go into the counseling room, mm-hmm. and that and that's hard work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a measure in which you, you know we're really asking our counselors to do something beyond what a lot of people that's right. are prepared to do. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about data gathering. We've talked about rightly dividing the word, ministering it, not dispensing. We talked about homework. We talked about hope. As we think about uh, excelling as a counselor, excelling still more as a counselor, maybe maybe the final thing to talk about is just building a caring relationship, building mm-hmm. involvement. Uh, you know, the Proverbs uh, states that a man's counsel is sweet to his friend, and I take that to mean that when a counselee perceives that their counselor is really a friend, a trusted friend, yeah. they're they're more inclined to take what they're saying seriously and to take it to heart. So. How do we help counselors to develop the sort of skills to build a relationship, a trusting relationship where they might be able to bring the sort of uh, good biblical influence in counseling? Yeah, isn't that isn't that one of the advantages of doing what we do in the context of the church? Man, you're getting you're using your ecclesiology again. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell right. you what, right? We found you out. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because that the, the church is about relationships and it's about people and it's about connectedness. And so part of that involvement is on Sunday morning, um, they see their counselee at church and, and I do this and, and our counselors do this. They'll see him at church and they'll just come alongside. They'll say, Hey, come sit with me. Um, come participate in worship with me. Hey, did you get a snack at the fellowship area? Um, Hey, I've been praying for you this week. Put an arm around them. Sometimes I won't say a thing to the person. Other than very general things, except put an arm around them, 
give them a hug, tell them I love them, um, and say, hey, I've been praying for you this week. I trust it's going well. Looking forward to catching up this week. Mm-hmm. And they just know, okay, he's he's involved, he's connected. Um, some of our counselors have done, I'm just amazed sometimes at the, at the lengths they go to invest in their counselees to communicate that. Uh, it is not uncommon that our counselors are... Um, sending texts throughout the week, sharing Bible verses. They'll call them up uh, two or three times during the week and pray with them over the phone. Um, one of our counselors has been taking another a counselee to doctor appointments. Um, one of our counselors in one of his counseling, counseling cases, uh, this is this is a Texas-specific uh, kind of application, but um, he... He packed up his horse in his trailer, took his horse out to his counselee's property, and they rode horse for half a day. Um, and they were roping calves and whatever else they were doing. I, yeah, I don't think you can do that in uh, downtown Chicago necessarily, but <laughs> but there are places to do that. You know, he what he did was he said, "This is a connection. This is a love that we share. We both love horses, uh, and I can I can invest in him just as just as a guy hanging out doing guy stuff." And that absolutely uh, denotes yeah. involvement. Yeah, yeah. That ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, is one of the ways that biblical counseling is really unique compared to the professional counseling models around us, where it's fee for service, it's clinical, it's, yeah. it's quote unquote professional distancing. We don't get too close, and there is <laughs> there is nothing about the New Testament church. That that fits with, right? This one anothering, this life on life. This is we're loving beyond the actual counseling meeting, and we're not we're not hogging it to ourselves. We're saying we need the whole community of the church to come alongside and help. Yes. And you know, in our church at least, the formal counseling is just one expression of discipleship and care. I mean, that happens mm-hmm. in our children's ministry. It happens from the pulpit. It happens in our small groups. It happens in our mentoring program and. And the point is, is that the discipleship ought to be happening, caring ought to be happening at all levels in some way, and formal yeah. counseling is just one piece of that. Um, and again, you know, we, we know good care can happen, you know, outside of that formal church community, but it really wasn't designed by God uh, to, to be outside of the church community. Um, so, so involvement, building relationships within the context of the local church, letting the New Testament help yeah. us to know how to do that. Exactly. Um, you know, sometimes we have to help people. I mean, some people are more just naturally gifted by God relationally, and other people are a little more uh, a little more stoic, a, a little more introverted. And um, so sometimes when you have a counselor who's maybe a little bit more like that, exposure to the body of Christ evens out those strengths and weaknesses, right? And maybe even, you know, we have times where we co-counsel or we sit in with other counselors and we go, okay, I never would have thought of saying it like that or doing that. But um, that's where the body of Christ, I think, maximizes the influence and effectiveness there beyond an individual counselor's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I think sometimes, too, we we tend to think of, well, if I'm going to really help them, I need to be opening my Bible and explaining it. That's true. Mm -hmm. But that may not be communicating care always. I want to be attentive to what's what's this person's interest? What do they care about? What are they what are they interested in? What do they gravitate to? What do they do? What are their hobbies? And I'll spend uh, two to five minutes typically at the beginning of every session, and I'm just interacting about stuff. And 
might be holiday things. You know, this is, you know, we're talking, uh, in, in the shadow of Christmas right now. So I might be talking holiday things and family things and foods and practices. And uh, we, we might talk about baseball. We might talk about uh, who knows what with horses. And people would say, well, that's just throwaway conversation. That's superficial. It doesn't mean anything. And there's a sense in which that's true, except if I know that this young man loves baseball and he loves the Texas Rangers, and there's so few of us that do, and he, <laughs> he loves the Texas Rangers. And if I initiate a conversation with him about that, I'm communicating to him, I know what you care about, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to engage in that. When my wife and I were dating, she, to- she we were we were talking one day, and she she had called me on the phone, and she said, um, "Hey, did you see?" And this goes back obviously a few years. Did you see that Pete Rose got three hits yesterday? And I said, "No, I didn't," and I'm shocked that you know because <laughs> because Regine is not interested in baseball Who are you? particularly. Where did my wife go? <laughs> yeah, girlfriend actually girlfriend, at the time. Yeah. And but what that communicated to me was she's interested in what I'm interested in. She knows yeah. I love baseball, yeah. and she's trying to enter into that. And that was massive. That happened thirty something years ago, and I still remember it. Mm-hmm. It was so significant. Mm-hmm. And the same kind of thing we can do for our counselees: engaging in simple conversation, but it's connecting. It's mm-hmm. it's that involvement piece mm-hmm. that you're talking yep. about. Yeah, sounds like considering one another as more important uh, than yourself. Oh, there right? you go. So it's a, yeah. it's a biblical principle. That uh, considering other people's interests and loving them and showing interest is actually spiritually significant because yeah. it's it's emulating the Son of God, right? Who who left the throne of his father, came, took the form of a bond servant, as that passage goes on to talk about. We're in the shadows of Christmas, the incarnation. So so we are we are b- being like Christ when we prefer others' interests over our own, even showing interest in things like a person's sports team or their hobby or whatever yeah. it happens to be. So. Yeah. Well, Terry, as always, this has been a great conversation. Uh, we could go on and on and on for hours, and often we do. But yeah. for the sake of our listeners, uh, we'll conclude for the day. Uh, thanks so much for the conversation. Thanks for allowing me to be with you and the others, Keith. For more information about the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship and our resources, our training, and uh, all the things we do to try to assist counselors to excel still more, you can visit us on our website at thecbcd.org.